Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. I'm Clark Corbin. Thank you for taking 20 or so minutes out of your Stranger Things binge watching to listen to us talk a little bit about education. Uh, Kind of a busy week on the education front. Several topics we want to get to. Yeah, two top stories this week, Kevin, that uh, we really dug in and and good reports. But I want to start with a topic that we've looked at a lot lately that you've been covering, uh, that I've covered some meetings devoted Mm -hmm. to. And that's the issue of the teacher shortage. You talked to administrators in a number of districts across the state and kind of got some uh, case studies and some anecdotal evidence pieced together. What are the administrators saying, and what did you find out? Well, it is all anecdotal, but what kind of my takeaways on all of this are are twofold. First of all, the teacher shortage is not going away anytime soon. I think the administrators that I have spoken to and the administrators who uh, took part in an online survey that we did earlier this uh, school year, all of the indications are we're in a teacher shortage that isn't going to dissipate anytime soon for a lot of different reasons that we could maybe talk about more. The other thing that kind of um, I was struck by is that these shortages may be more widespread and maybe more uh, invasive than we might have uh, assumed going in. I think part of the conventional wisdom that we've we've heard and we've written a good deal about, and there's still a lot of truth to it, is this is really hitting rural Idaho hard. And it's really hitting all schools hard in some areas, uh, STEM disciplines, special education. We had one uh, superintendent um, from the West Jefferson School District in his uh, online survey. He, he called special ed and math and science teachers unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> They're that hard to find. We knew that, and we've known that, and that's still a continuing issue. But what I kind of found as we did the anecdotal look at this, elementary school teachers are are hard to find in some quarters. PE teachers are hard to find. I I was talking to uh, Jeff Thomas with the Madison School District. They had an opening for a a PE teacher this year and got a grand total of one applicant who who got the job. Congratulations, (laughs) you're hired. Right, right. And and, uh, according to uh, what Jeff Thomas was telling me, teacher's off to a good start. But I think he... Thomas recognizes the risk that's involved here. When you have that, uh, when you have one applicant, you wind up hiring the one applicant. You know, you're not, uh, you can't be as selective. And there's a likelihood, perhaps, that you're going to get somebody who's a bad fit, or you know, you know, maybe worse than a bad fit. I mean, you can get somebody who's really, um, who's really a bad hire. So I, I think a lot of these uh, superintendents are feeling the pressure. I think they're feeling under the gun. And the sense that I got is. Uh, nobody's calling this the new normal, but it, it's starting to feel that way. For sure. How How is it affecting districts? Are you hearing of any programs going dark or class sizes getting larger? How are We know there's the shortage. We know that um, we're hearing, for instance, that there might be fewer graduates coming out of uh, teacher prep programs. Mm-hmm. But uh, Definitely, that's a factor. How, how is it playing out in schools? What does it look like? Uh, anecdotal example that I used in my story and there are others, but one that kind of jumped out at me, uh, Compass Charter School in Meridian. Now, this is a suburban school. I mean, this isn't small-town Idaho. This right. is Meridian. Um, it's also a, you know, pretty high-achieving charter school. I mean, their, their test scores have been some of the highest in the state. Uh, Compass wanted to add a part-time Spanish teacher so that they could take their full-time Spanish teacher and... Uh, 
uh, start some dual credit programs, some dual credit classes in, in Spanish. Uh, kids signed up. The kids were, there were some students who were ready to go on this thing. They had to cancel the class because the part-time Spanish teacher that they thought they had to deal with um, backed out of the job at the last minute. So you still get one Spanish teacher who's teaching in junior high and high school and doesn't have the time now to do a dual credit class. So that's one you know, tangible example of it, but I've heard from other, you know, other districts that have had to kind of go without maybe like a kindergarten teacher when you know, the numbers might have justified hiring another one. Yeah. So definitely, I think you've got examples and probably a lot of them around the state that you know, we're just you know, scratching the surface at, uh, of class offerings that have to be uh, put on hold, classes that have to be uh, just larger with more students uh, uh, and fewer teachers to go around. And this, to me, kind of relates to another issue that you've been covering this year, and that's the folks that are in the classroom uh, through alternative certifications. Just real briefly... Uh, for folks who maybe don't know what an alternative certification is, explain the idea and then talk about that issue and how that is related to the teacher shortage. Right. And we wrote about that more a couple of weeks ago, and you can go back to IdahoEdNews.org and, and look at that. We linked to it out of this uh, week's story as well. There are a variety of different ways that schools can hire a teacher and have that teacher going through an alternative certification. What we do know and what we wrote about in in the past was that those numbers are going up. More, more teachers hired through alternative means uh, in 16, 17 than we've seen in previous years. We don't have this year's numbers, but based on what we're hearing and based on what, uh, what anecdotal evidence we've got, again, West Jefferson, uh, they're talking about how 20% of their teachers are there through alternative means. Pocatello has 20 teachers right now that are going through an alternative route. I think when we see those statewide numbers, I can't see how those numbers are going to be lower than they were last year. The only question to me is uh, by how much do those numbers increase? Yeah, and I was at a state board of education, or I covered a state board of education meeting uh, a week or two ago where they talked about adding an additional alternative route to give school districts additional flexibility to bring in either professionals from the community or folks who are certified to teach one area to bring them in to teach mm -hmm. and help out right. in another area where they aren't yet certified. Um, so they're looking to give more flexibility to these school districts, but it could, uh, if it plays out, if this program is approved, uh, it could result in more and more folks coming in, uh, leading classrooms through uh, in some sort of alternative means uh, to teach. Right, and the question then becomes, in what classes are you putting these teachers that are coming through alternative means? I mean, if the hard-to-find jobs are the STEM disciplines or special education, you know, then you've got a really interesting policy debate here, especially when you're talking about special needs kids and special education teachers. You have school administrators saying, look, we, we've got to get somebody. We've got to get some help here. And you may have you know, you know, critics on the other side saying, special needs students who, who need the most intense inten attention that we can get and the most professional teachers we can possibly find, are they going to be... Uh, you know, served by uh, teachers who are going through an alternative route. I mean, it's a very interesting and complicated policy debate that's uh, probably going to unfold and probably intensify as this uh, teacher shortage lingers. For sure. And, and real quickly, you, you talked with a number of these administrators. It sounded like money was a concern in some of the districts, but money wasn't the only problem they were identifying, right? Right. It's not just money. I mean, I think there's... Uh, a shortage, as you mentioned before, of uh, students coming through the uh, you know, 
coming through colleges of education who are entering the workforce wanting to be teachers, which leads to teacher shortage, leads to the demand for alternative hires. Um, you know, when I talked to Jeff Thomas, he said, you know, we're still kind of working our way through the, the toxicity, as he put it, of the, the Tom Luna years and the propositions and this uh, perception that uh, teachers were feeling like they were being seen as the enemy. So he's having to kind of fight that. He feels like that's still an issue that uh, local school administrators are having to work their way through. So a lot to that story, but uh, check it out in all detail at idoidnews.org. Yeah, it, it was a, a good report, interesting stuff. It's an ongoing topic. Uh, it's an issue that continues to face many school districts all throughout the state, and it's one that we will continue uh, to follow closely and to cover. Let's unravel another big story that we had this week that our, our Eastern Idaho reporter Devin Bodkin broke on Thursday about the Oneida School District and uh, homeschoolers and, and how this all fits together. It's a, there's a lot to this story that we're going to try to unwind here in the next few minutes. Uh, definitely a story you'll want to read. Fascinating story, uh, a very complicated story about online, uh, an online arrangement between Oneida and uh, an out-of-state vendor. Sure. This was really an investigative uh, report by Devin Bodkin, and uh, what he found, uh, just to give you a sense, and it gets kind of technical, and so for some of the technical stuff, it'd be safer and better to, to read it uh, rather than have me try to summarize it or maybe not get something exactly correct. But uh, basically, we've got a small rural school district, the Oneida School District, which uh, in the last year has had an unexpected uh, or a surprising financial windfall uh, to the tune of more than a million dollars thanks to uh, a surprising apparent uh, increase in students. The calculated increase because they, they went and sought this. Sure, sure. It's only on paper. These students likely are never going to set foot uh, inside the schools themselves, and that's because the United District uh, set out a, a no-bid contract uh, and entered into this arrangement with a Utah-based curriculum provider to basically provide instruction to several hundred digital homeschool students that live all over Idaho. Uh, it, it's interesting because as a result of the enrollment increase, uh, the school district gets this big financial windfall. Uh, their budget went up considerably over the last year or two, and then a lot of that money goes out the door to this curriculum provider called Harmony, but the district itself gets a 10% uh, kickback. But I thought the interesting thing of this investigation was that Devin contacted two of the largest school districts in the state, that being the Bonneville and the West Ada school districts. They tried this relationship uh, with the same online curriculum provider and almost immediately backed away saying they didn't have the resources to do it. It was too much of a hassle, too much of a problem, and they just couldn't make it work, right? Right. Two, two very large districts that uh, would have a lot more, you know, presumably a lot more resources, a lot more staff to put towards this kind of a complex uh, arrangement. Walked away from the arrangement, but the United District is continuing it. Uh, the, the district is saying that this is not a big financial windfall for them, but uh, as we as we track the dollars, there's a considerable increase in state funding that the Oneida District gets because of this really on paper increase in, in student numbers. And under the arrangement now with Harmony, with this uh, company, yeah. uh, the district will get a 10% uh, share of funding directly from Harmony 
based on the student growth. So if if Harmony brings in a million dollars from you know for providing services for these students, uh, about a fa- hundred thousand of that goes back to the United District. So. It is a financial gain in, in a couple of different areas for Oneida, uh, even though the superintendent is saying it's not a huge money maker. It, it's, a, it's a very interesting topic, and it's one that, you know, as you mentioned, we've seen it kind of playing out in the, in the background with uh, West Ada and Bonneville District. Um, Devin uh, spoke to State Representative Wendy Horman, uh, who express some concerns about this whole funding arrangement, this whole online uh, student arrangement in districts using a boost in online students to uh, to raise their enrollment numbers and get a larger share of state dollars. Yeah, there were a couple of other issues that David uncovered in his reporting. Uh, number one, uh, the student performance, the performance of these students uh, that are taking this online program, uh, particularly in the area of math. Uh, I think only 26% of those students reached proficient levels on their annual state math test. That's well, well, well below uh, the state average, which I think is around 43%. But but not unprecedented in the sense that if we look at uh, virtual schools in general, th- those performances tend to be lower. Uh, we've seen that with the, the online charters. But yeah, definitely an achievement gap that we're we're seeing here. For sure. Also, uh, some issues perhaps in the state of Utah uh, that had been uncovered earlier, and it looks like uh, Harmony isn't really working with uh, the districts in Utah that it had been before. But it's an interesting report, uh, a lot going on, but it basically comes down to a big enrollment increase, increase on paper uh, and the financial windfall that goes along with this. And yes, these students are receiving uh, an education, uh, but it's it's delivered online. It's delivered electronically through this business, and, and it really is a for-profit it's, business. It's a vendor, yeah. um, you know, delivering this online programming. And there's other questions about how do you oversee and how do you provide the proper accountability for the teachers that are working on uh, this program. That's another question that I think uh, should be answered for the taxpayers. But uh, a lot going on with this story. Uh, it, it, to be perfectly clear, it, it's not. It doesn't appear that they've done anything illegal. No. It's just a little unorthodox, and we wanted to let people know that you know, hey, if you looked on paper, you would see this tiny district and their student enrollment just ballooning over a one to two year period, and their budget increasing, uh, kind of in, in in relation to that. But uh, there's more going on, right? And and Devin does a good job of kind of exposing what's going on there. And again, it's. You know, nobody's saying this is illegal. We don't have anybody uh, suggesting that, but it is—it's unorthodox was the word we used in the headline, and, and it's certainly that. So, uh, check the story out at idaho8news.org. Uh, Devin does a really nice job of explaining and walking walking readers through an extremely complicated topic here. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, head over to idahoheadnews.org and check that out. It's worth your time. It's a good in-depth story. Clark, you spent some time talking to Jeff Dillon, uh, the Republican candidate for state superintendent. You had a story run earlier this week. Give us kind of a sense of how that interview went and sort of your takeaways from sitting down and talking to him. Sure. Uh, Went out to Wilder uh, to meet Jeff Dillon. He's the superintendent of the Wilder School District, which is a small uh, rural district in Canyon County uh, in 
Western Idaho, almost on the Oregon border, uh, real, real close out there, small district. And uh, he was actually the first candidate to file for superintendent of public instruction. Uh, the incumbent, Sherry Ubarra, filed uh, much more recently for re-election. And so right now where things stand is those two will square off for the Republican nomination in the May 2018 primary. But went out there, and I guess my takeaway from the interview is I learned a little bit more about Jeff Dillon as a person and as an educator in his personal life. I didn't learn that much um, in terms of policy positions for somebody who's seeking uh, a statewide office. And we'll get into that in just a second. But uh, but he's had a really low profile in terms of the policy end of this. I mean, you know, he announced in May, and we really haven't heard a whole lot from him talking about policy issues or how those might differ from what uh, Sherry Ibarra is doing on the job. Sure. It, yeah, overall, it has been kind of a slow campaign to get started, at least uh, in comparison to two other races, which we're following the governor's race and the first congressional district right. race. Yeah. Uh, but still a lot of time between now and the May primary, so we anticipate it'll pick up. But just what we did find out, uh, you know, Jeff Dillon grew up in the Wilder School District. Mm -hmm. He actually lives in the house uh, that his grandfather built. He attended school in Wilder uh, in at the elementary level and then moved on to a private Christian school in nearby Greenleaf when he was a little bit older. After college, he entered the ministry. He did that for about 17 years. And then he began uh, his education career, first as a teacher, uh, then as a building principal. And then he came back home uh, to Wilder and became a principal and then ultimately the superintendent uh, there. And, and so he, he has some education experience. He's an Idaho native, uh, lives in the small community where he grew up. But I asked him about a number of different education issues that are kind of things that I've been covering this past year, past couple of years, whether it's teacher pay and recruitment, uh, whether it's youth literacy rates, whether it is uh, science standards. I asked him about a number of things that were going on in education and what his priorities were, and he didn't really develop kind of a full-fledged list of things that he wanted to do. He said that his main concern would be traveling the state and listening to parents and teachers and education groups and community members about what they want for education. He kind of uh, took a little shot at, at Superintendent Sherry Ybarra and said, we talk about local control all the time, but what I've seen this summer is that we were focusing on a federal plan to comply with uh, federal education laws, uh, which is true, but it was a requirement to mm -hmm. receive uh, millions of dollars in, in, in federal funding. And so uh, it, it sounded almost to me like Jeff Dillon wanted to take a page from the uh, Governor Otter's education task force. They traveled the state and got a lot of public feedback before delivering 20 school reform recommendations in the year 2013, and we're still following those school reform recommendations. Um, but I didn't asked a lot of questions, wasn't really able to get too many policy uh, distinctions between uh, Jeff Dillon and Superintendent Ibarra, uh, wasn't able to really um, talk to him about specific education policies that he had in mind. One thing he did say is that he is running and he's distressed as an administrator and a parent uh, because his perception is that Given the choice, if money was not an option, the majority of parents in the state of Idaho would send their child to a charter school or a private school. And he said his goal is to have public schools be the first choice uh, for Idahoans and for their families. Uh, but in terms of the plan to get there, um, yet to be determined, basically. Okay. And we'll be uh, following this race a lot more closely, and um, I'm sure 
working to try to flesh out some of these details. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one last topic that we wanted to get to. We had some new survey data that was released by the State Department of Education. Tell me a little bit about the risk Youth Risk Survey and, and how that relates to bullying in one of Superintendent Ibarra's initiatives. Uh, this youth survey is something that the state has been doing every other year for about a decade, and the new numbers came out this year, uh, this week, and some of the numbers are really sobering and, and really alarming. Uh, you had 26% of high school students who took part in this uh, survey say that they were the victim of bullying on school grounds. 26%. Uh, you had over 20% of students say that they've seriously considered suicide. You had 20% of students uh, say that they've been the victim of bullying either via text or on social media networks. And those numbers are all on the increase from what uh, the state has found in previous uh, surveys. So with that increase in mind, with those with those numbers coming out, uh, Superintendent Barr uh, this week said that uh, she feels like it's time to maybe uh, declare a war on bullying. Uh, the state has done a public um, public information campaign, a public service announcement campaign to try to draw a attention to the problem and try to raise awareness about the problem. But she is suggesting, without a whole lot of details yet, but she's suggesting that maybe it's time to uh, to do more. You know, these are, these are self-reporting numbers. I mean, these are students saying uh, everything from whether they uh, smoke or drink or use illegal drugs to whether they're planning to go to college. So it's all self-reporting. And with that, you know, you, you have to wonder if everything that the students are saying is accurate. But when you have a quarter of students saying that they feel like they've been the victim of bullying on school grounds, and there's really no... You know, what's the motivation for 25% of kids to say that if there isn't something to it? There's no motivation to, to lie about that. And to have those numbers increasing over time in the same kind of a self-reporting survey, uh, those are some, some startling numbers, and they definitely got the superintendent's attention. Um, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, the one thing that I noticed, uh, absolutely very sobering stuff, and, and and we hear from some of these people during legislative hearings and in public testimonies, and people go up and they tell their story, uh, and it's powerful, sobering stuff, like you said, but there's a huge disconnect between the numbers that Superintendent Ibarra's office puts out in terms of bullying incidences that were reported and tracked in the state, a very, very small, minuscule percentage versus the number of students that self-report uh, feeling that they've been bullying, bullied or witnessing bullying. Just a gulf between what those two sets between, of numbers are saying. Between students saying that they were bullied to uh, cases that actually rose to the level yeah. of an investigation. So, yeah, I, I'm... So it's either going I'm, unreported or there's something happening. Right, there's, there's something going on there, and I don't feel right. qualified to try to speculate on why we've got a difference between... You know, between these two numbers, and but it is a, a wide gulf. But you know, again, I think the fact that you have so many students, you know, in a survey of eighteen hundred students around the state saying that they feel like bullying is going on, uh, that's kind of the takeaway that uh, State Department of Education had from this uh, from the survey. So we'll watch this uh, a lot more closely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that gets us caught up with all of our top stories for this week. Really appreciate everybody listening to Extra Credit each and every week. If you want to stay up with all of our latest news, you can follow us on Twitter at IdahoEdNews. We post all of our stories and break 
all of our news there. Also encourage you to head over to our homepage and click on the 2018 elections tab. If you've missed any of our reporting on any of the races that will be on the ballot, we'll continue to add stories there as we get closer and closer. But there's already uh, more than 10 stories there uh, dealing with three major races that we're going to be covering, focusing on education as the key issue. So check that out and you can kind of bookmark that and that will be there always uh, between now and next year's election. So thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great weekend. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.